Bruce and Nanette have um, actually been my neighbors uh, for a number uh, of years, and I do not know how many small groups they've led, but I can tell you that there are always a boatload of cars uh, in, in front of their house. And, and that testimony serves as an introduction to our time in the Word today. We're going to actually do something a little bit different. I'm going to continue this study or this, this discussion about life groups. Over the past couple of weeks, Glenn has very ably launched us uh, into a four-week series on the topic. If you haven't been here, or uh, I encourage you, as I did, uh, to listen to those messages which are available on our podcasts. Life groups is the new name that we have given um, to our small group ministry. Group of elders has been working on this for for months, actually for lots of reasons. First, uh, the term small groups was not very descriptive uh, of the ministry. Glenn shared that with us. It it communicated that the groups were small, certainly smaller than than this, but, but not much else. But, but, but that, that title, small groups, was very important. You see, we've attempted through our small group ministry um, to make such a large group small, to make sure that we are all making the connections that we need to make in order to be the church that God wants us to be. So small groups were intended to describe a gathering of maybe 8 or 10, 12 or, or, or so people for the purpose of building, don't miss this, gospel community, gospel community. But, but we felt that that title, small groups, was not enough, so the new title or the new or rebranding, if you will, was changed to life groups. It's not new to us. Uh, we probably stole it from somebody, but the idea being that this is where we do life together as followers of Christ which actually led to the second reason for a focus over these weeks on small groups or or life groups. What is the structure for our new life group ministry to be? You see, we felt that these groups were so important to, to the life of our church that they needed some intentional oversight, direction, and encouragement. Now, I want you to know that the elders have have stepped up to the plate Many are leading life groups or are at least involved in one. Every life group leader will have an elder assigned to to the group to come alongside him or her to encourage them and assist them in this most important ministry. Another thing that we've done within this structure is to limit the span of time uh, that the group meets. Not one or two hours, you meet as long as you want in an evening, but uh, over the, the course of months. You see, in the past, when you signed up for a small group, it felt a little bit like a life sentence, like you were signing up for life, or at least until Jesus came back. But with this new structure, when you sign up, you're only committing to maybe nine or, or ten months. If after that time you find the group doesn't work for you, for whatever reason, maybe some personality issues, uh, maybe a change in life circumstances, maybe a change in schedule, then, then you're free to, to change to another group with no guilt or, or, or no pressure. You, you can do that. Now, that um, new structure has actually led to a lot of confusion. 
People have asked, well, well what if I don't want to change groups after 10 months? Well, well you don't have to. Well, well, what if we want to keep on meeting through the summer? We don't, we don't want to just meet for nine or, or 10 months. Well, you can. Well, what if I want to drop out? What if I don't when I don't like the group, when I want to drop out or change life groups in the middle of the year, you can. Can we study whatever we want? Yes, although we do encourage, like the Bible, <laughs> or a book about the Bible, which is what I'm going to talk about this morning. What if, what if we don't like that elder assigned to us? Well, I get that. Then, then, then pray for him. And, and learn to, to love Him. No, I want you to understand that no one is going to be forced into, a, or, into or out of a group. No one is, uh, uh, no group, I should say, is forcibly put together or assigned or changed. No subject within the group is assigned. No time frame is forced on the group. Meet till Jesus comes. We don't care. We simply want to provide both structure and flexibility within our life group ministry to make sure that they work very, very well. So, so we've, we've changed the name to be more de descriptive. We've changed the structure to be more helpful. And thirdly, I, I want to put those two together now, those first two together. We've changed the description a little bit more to provide a little bit more Structure. Well, you just said that. What do I mean? What do you mean by that? This is what Glenn introduced a couple of weeks ago. We want to encourage our, our life groups to live the gospel through intentional community. Now, now listen. I just said a mouthful of Christian words, but I don't want you to miss it. We want our life groups to live the gospel through intentional community. Listen, we are people of the gospel. We didn't just need the gospel the day that it saved us. We need the gospel every day of our lives. And we need to live the gospel together in order to grow as followers of Jesus Christ. We have, we have described that intentional community through three, three words. Ready? Belong, become, and bless. To belong is to be part of an intentional gospel community. To become, which I'm going to talk about this morning, is to be part of, an, part of intentional gospel growth. And to bless is to be part of intentional gospel mission. Lot, again, lots of Christian words, but they mean something. Now, I suppose if we chose a theme for this ministry, then Colossians 1.28 would be a good one. Listen to it. We proclaim Him, that is Jesus, admonishing every man or woman and teaching every man and woman with all wisdom so that, here's the purpose of our life groups, so that we can present every person complete in Christ. That's what we want to be about. We want to see you mature as followers of Jesus Christ. Now, Glenn talked about belonging to intentional gospel 
community last week. He did a pretty good job, but I need to add some more. I'm kidding. I need to add some more. Everyone, everyone wants, in fact, I want to suggest that everyone needs to belong somewhere. I heard someone say this statement once. I wish I could remember who so I could give them credit. But it, if the people who should accept you don't accept you, you'll go to anyone who will accept you. Everyone needs to belong somewhere. If you've taken Psychology 101 and you remember Maslow's hierarchy of needs, he's, he said the most basic fundamental need that people have are food and water. And then once that need is met, you go up to the next one. And after that one is our safety and security needs, like shelter, things like that. And then once that need is met, most of us in America have food, water, and shelter. Once you have those two needs met, then you move to the next one, which are belongingness and love needs. I think he got that right. Every one of us needs to belong somewhere. It's, it's how God made us. In fact, if Colossians 1.28 is a good verse for our life group ministry, perhaps a good theme song for our life group ministry would be this one. Making your way in the world today takes everything you've got. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name, and they're always glad you came. You want to be where you can see our troubles are all the same. You want to go where everybody knows your name. That's pretty good. <laughs> that song comes from the most pop, one of the most popular television shows ever, one of the longest-running weekly series. It was set in a Boston tavern where surprisingly, surprisingly, there were no murders, no kidnappings, no high-speed chases, no busted drug deals, no criminal conspiracies, no action, no adventure, all of which causes me to say, why watch it? But it was a show that connected with people. It portrayed the interactions of people who were drawn to the camaraderie of crying in one another's beer. They, 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 want, they went to a place where everyone, somebody, knew their name. By the way, the song, if you don't know, it's already on the screen, comes from that sitcom, Cheers. I'm not sure that I ever saw one episode, but I know the song. Characters of Cheers were greeted heartily when they entered the tavern. Their friends made a place for them at the bar, asked them about their day. Wouldn't that be nice? They shared their doubts, their fears, their failures, their victories. It was group therapy for the price of a six-pack, confession without a priest, and acceptance without fear of rejection. You see, I, I want to submit that the writers of that show realized something. People need people. They want to be noticed. They want to, be, they want to love and be loved. They, they want someone to know their name. Which causes me to ask, how many of you walk in here Sunday after Sunday? Don't raise your hands. Nobody knows your name. 
We need to fix that. God created us to need people. You know that? God created us to be in relationship. Think about it. When Adam was lonely in the garden, God did not give him another job to do. What you need, Adam, what you need to fill the void, to fill the hole, to fill your longing is just, is just work a couple of extra hours every week. You need to find another job. God did not give Adam more work to do. And yet, how many people, hmm, how many of you try to fill your longings and your loneliness and your need for a relationship with your jobs, with more work, with more activity, with more busyness? And it's not working, is it? Let me tell you something else that God did not do. He did not give Adam more animals. Yes, he had all of the animals passed by Adam to be named, so Adam could marvel at God's creative genius. But those animals were never intended to fulfill Adam's loneliness. In fact, I believe that God had the animals passed by Adam to magnify his loneliness, to magnify his need, his desperate need for relationship. And yet, how many people today try to fill their loneliness, their longing, their need with more things? More possessions, more toys, larger bank accounts, bigger houses, more cars, more stuff to name and count. Is it working for you? God did not give Adam more work to do or more things to own. What did God give Adam? We know. A woman. Someone to be in relationship with. You know the story. God placed man in a deep sleep, took a rib, made the woman, brought her to the man, and he was not lonely anymore. He had another person to love and care for and another person to love and care for him. After naming all of the animals... After naming all of the animals, there was someone who knew his name, and he knew hers. Now, let me remind you, there is intended to be a difference between a Cheers bar and our life group ministry. Just want to be clear about that. Our groups are intended to foster gospel community gospel growth, and gospel mission. It is not just a gathering of people with the same interests, all right? Football, um, Harley, Harley's cooking recipes, reading the same books. It is a gathering of followers of Jesus Christ who want to live and share the gospel. So life groups exist to provide a place for people to belong to foster gospel community. Secondly, they also exist to provide a place for people to become. That is for real gospel growth to happen. I need you to listen up. Most of the time, when we think of the Great Commission, right? Matthew 28. We think of sharing the gospel. We think of evangelism. We think of getting people to pray a prayer. 
making converts. Putting another notch in our belt or our Bible. The Great Commission is actually a command to go and what? Make disciples of all nations. That's, that's, the, that's the command. I want you to make disciples, and it is supported by three participles. In your going, I want some teaching, and uh, excuse me, I want some baptizing, and I want some teaching. In your going, wherever you go, I want to see converts made through the gospel, and that is seen by their, that's evidenced by their baptism, and then I want you to teach them everything that I taught you. Going, converting, teaching, learning, embracing, and applying the Word of God is essential to true discipleship. And I want to suggest this morning that life groups play a vital, perhaps the most vital role. Well, that just blew you away. The most vital role in that process. Now, let me take just a couple of minutes to share a few scriptures that communicate the idea that the means of discipleship, the means of spiritual growth, is the Word of God. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2 says this, Like newborn babes, babies, long for the pure milk of the Word, that by it you may grow in respect to your salvation. Long for the Bible. In the context, Peter has just urged his readers to put away sin and instead of craving sin, instead of being addicted to sin, be addicted to something else, namely the Bible, the Word of God. What an apt analogy. Many of you have never had a baby. You've all been babies. Whether you remember it or not, let me assure you that you all craved milk. It was innate. It was something you needed. You knew it. You came out crying for food, and you have been crying for it ever since. The same is true for Christians. We know spiritually, innately, we need the Word of God. It is by the Scripture we grow. It's our spiritual food. It is as necessary to life as milk is to a baby. This is not rocket science. I've been doing this a long time. People come to my, people come to my office all the time. They want to talk. And oftentimes people say, man, my life is just a spiritual wreck. One of the first questions I ask them, I say, are you praying and reading the Bible like most days? Well, no. Well, then, duh. I have never had an exception to that question. Never. Hebrews chapter 5. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of the Word of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. Everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness. He's a baby. He's an infant. Solid food is for the mature. Who, because of practice, practice, spending time in the Bible, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. The author of the book of Hebrews has some very strong things to say to his readers. He uses the same analogy of the Word of God, the oracles of God being spiritual food for believers. He says we grow toward maturity by partaking of spiritual food. In his analogy, he says 
Much like children, we grow from milk to solid food. Still talking about the Word of God, but he says, as we grow in our understanding, we grow beyond the elementary teachings of the Word of God. We grow beyond things, this, this is a little, this is kind of hard. We grow beyond things like faith and repentance and resurrection and eternal judgment, and we move on to deeper things, which is why, by the way, that I teach generally, this morning is a difference, but generally I teach verse by verse through the Bible. That forces us to study the deeper things that we would never get to, and that frankly sometimes are quite troubling. Another passage, last passage, 2 Timothy 3. You, however, continue in the things that you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, your mom and your grandma, and from childhood you have known the sacred writings, that's the Bible, which are able to give you wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Oh, all script. Why is, why is the Scripture good? Well, here you go. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man or woman of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Very simply, Paul tells Timothy, who was his son in the faith, the one that he had discipled. The Scripture, you need to understand, Timothy, is sufficient. It's sufficient for salvation. It's sufficient for growth to equip every believer so that you will be equipped for what God wants you to do. And why is that? Well, very simply, the Bible is inspired by God. Every bit of it is God-breathed, literally. While written by men, it is of divine origin. Therefore, you want to grow spiritually, you've got to stay in in the Bible. So, the Word of God is foundational and should be central to our becoming fully devoted followers of Christ, to becoming more like Jesus, being conformed to His image, growing to spiritual maturity. Listen, there's a reason that spiritual leaders are always telling you, TBR, Freedom Farm, the church, that, 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 that we are always, always, always harping on this. Read the Bible. You have to. You, you have to. You will not grow without it. Therefore, central to our gospel Communities called life groups must be the Bible. I want to encourage you. I don't, I don't care if you get together in the park. I don't care if you get together and take a bike ride. I don't care if you get together and eat. In fact, do that one. I don't care if you get together and exchange recipes. I don't care if you get together and talk about some classic that you read. I don't care if you get together and talk about some hobby. At some point... We must spend time in the Word of God. Because it takes Christ working in us together. In his book, um, The Purpose Driven Church, which he actually wrote before The Purpose Driven Life, and it's actually much better, Rick Warren shares some myths about spiritual maturity, some myths about this growing in Christ. Let me share them very briefly with you, four myths. Myth number one, spiritual growth is automatic once you become a Christian. It's just going to happen. Most of us know that's not true. Churches are filled with people who have been saints for years, attended church for years, but are spiritual babies sucking on their bottles, and they've never gone on to solid food. 
The truth is, spiritual growth must be intentional. We must not leave it to chance. We must be willing to commit to one another, to pour our lives into each other, to disciple one another to maturity. And I want to suggest, I'm suggesting to you this morning that there's no better place for that to happen than our life groups. Myth number two. Spiritual growth is a mystical thing. Some find it, some don't. This was believed for a long time. Many felt that spiritual maturity was reserved for the spiritual elite. You want to be spiritual, then you need to be a monk and go to a monastery. Spiritually mature are only super saints that we read about in books. Truth is, far from being a mystical, spiritual thing, it is very practical. Any believer can and should expect to grow in their faith through intentionally developing the habits necessary for growth, spending time in the Word of God. Third, third myth, spiritual maturity occurs instantly. If you could just find the, man, if I could just find the right key, right? This is very common. Many Christians go from experience to experience, book to book. We pass books around all the time. You got to read this, it'll change your life. Well, it might. This one will. They go from conference to conference. They go from revival to rival. They go from church to church, searching for a key. Unfortunately, there's no such thing as instant maturity. It doesn't, doesn't work that way. Spiritual growth is a process that takes time as we live life together. Myth number four, spiritual maturity is measured by what you know. This is a problem. We need to be careful at Alliance Bible Fellowship, where Bible is our middle name, where we are committed to learning the Scripture. We need to be careful that we do not reduce spirituality to academics. The truth is spiritual maturity is demonstrated by both behavior and beliefs. Beliefs must be the foundation upon which we build our behavior But if you know the Bible, we've all known people like this, who know the Bible, they're Bible answer people, but they don't live the Bible. Warren said it this way, the Christian life isn't just a matter of creeds and convictions, it includes conduct and character. Beliefs must be backed up with behavior. Our deeds must be consistent with our creeds. Isn't that what we saw in the book of Ephesians, that Paul spent the first three chapters talking about creed or doctrine, and spent the last three talking about conduct or duty. They go hand in hand. What I'm trying to say this morning is that for spiritual growth to happen, it must be built firmly on the Word of God, and one of the best places for that to happen is through life groups as we live life together. Now, consider, I am speaking of the centrality of the Bible. But there are several things, four things, which must happen for the Bible's transforming power to change our lives. Ready? And I'm done after this. First, the Bible must be clearly articulated. Okay? I've got a bunch of A words, okay? The Bible must be clearly articulated. This is one of my primary responsibilities, to study and teach the Scripture in a way that can be easily understood. But it is not, this is one of the problems in the church today, it is not just my job. It is the job of every parent, of every teacher, of every discipler, and every, or perhaps, every life group leader. And the reason I say perhaps is because the life, 
It depends on how you structure your life group. The life group leader may be just a or may just be a facilitator to ask questions and, and promote discussions. That's great. And the and the and the group disciples then each other in a small group. Right now, I'm discipling you. None of you are discipling the person next to you. We're in spec- this is spectator Christianity. And yet we all have the responsibility to disciple one another. You see, Romans chapter 15, verse 14 says this. And concerning you, my brothers, I myself also am convinced that you yourself are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to admonish or instruct one another. To some degree or another, we all have the responsibility and privilege to pour truth into someone else to articulate the truth of Scripture. But that's not enough. Truth must be articulated, but the truth also must be assimilated by the hearer. It must be heard with the purpose of understanding. It's one thing for me to run my mouth every week. It's another thing for you to hear with the intent to to take in what you hear and understand it. Truth must be assimilated. Now, Studies have been done that show that after 24 hours, the average person remembers about 5% of what they hear. This is very encouraging to me as a teacher. <laughs> By this time tomorrow, you will remember 5% of what I said today. It's one of the reasons that we encourage you to take notes and, and provide the worship folder that has notes in it. I want you to know when one of the other guys, Glenn, and, I, and I'll listen to his messages all the way from Kansas City, or, or Scott, or when someone else is preaching, I sit there with my worship folder, three services, and take notes three times. I throw them away, but I, but I take notes because I figure out that I remember about 15% then. Number three, even hearing and assimilating truth, man, I'm out of time, is not enough. Sorry, guys, I'm out of time and I'm not done. Even hearing and assimilating truth is is not enough. This truth, thirdly, must be applied. And the best way to apply truth is to talk about it. Now, listen to me very carefully. While there is only one true interpretation of a text of Scripture, there may be many applications. Did you hear what I said? Listen to me. There is only one true interpretation of Scripture. Drives me nuts when you're sitting in a circle and someone says, what does this verse mean to you? Stupidest question on the planet. It does not matter what it means to you. What matters is what it means. One interpretation, but many applications. And as we discuss the truth of God's Word, we must move beyond the academics of the text to the applications of the text. Most of us, let's be honest, most of us are educated beyond our obedience. And so within life groups, we can discuss Scriptures and way to apply it. In fact, one of the things that we are doing is we have assembled a team of writers who, Glenn already told you this, I'm telling you again, are preparing application questions from the Sunday 
morning messages for life groups. No. Life groups do not have to use those questions. But if you choose to use them, you can get them by Sunday afternoon and discuss them. And they will be heavily weighted toward application. In fact, I want to encourage you to use those questions. It will make me feel better than 5%. Fourth, hearing truth articulated, assimilating it, and seeking to apply it is all great stuff, but life groups afford the opportunity to go to the next step. It's a step every one of us need in the Christian life. Every one of us, having heard truth, understood it, committed to it, need to apply it and need to be held accountable to it. I can stand up here every Sunday and teach God's Word. You can take copious notes and not throw them away. You can even seek to apply it. But we need each other in the Christian life to apply it successfully. I've said this before. No one is expected to live, to to be alone in Christianity. No one is an island. We need each other to graciously and lovingly hold one another accountable to walk the talk. We are saved individually, but we are saved into community. Gospel community. And so, I want to encourage you as strongly as I can to join a life group and allow God through His Word and and His people to see your life transformed into the image of Christ. So let me say this again as I close. Many different forms of discipleship taking in the Word of God can take. Applying it can take. I'm trying to be clear that I do not think I need focus in. We're done. I'm going to pray. We're done. I do not think our time on Sunday mornings is, should be our only discipleship time. If your only involvement with Alliance or your church is this hour on Sundays, it is not enough. I will go further. I will suggest that in your living rooms where the Bible is discussed, as you study the Bible maybe a topic of, in the Bible, maybe a book about the Bible, as you do that together, talking and listening, listen, more spiritual formation will happen there than here. Believe that? There's probably no other ministry in the church that will allow you the opportunity to learn, apply, and be held accountable to the Word of God than life groups. Last sentence. The difference, the difference between Sunday morning worship and life groups is the difference between attending church and being the church. That's a good one. I, that's, I, I wrote that. <laughs> Write it down. The difference, the difference between Sunday morning worship and life groups is the difference between attending church and being the church. Let's stand for prayer. Father, my passion for us is that we be a committed, devoted group of people, but we're too big to just do it right now. We need small groups, life groups, community groups, whatever you want to call them. We need 
each other to walk faithfully in the truth. And so, I, incur- I pray that you would help us to go beyond an hour on Sunday morning and that life would be lived together in intentional community that sees us transformed into the image of Christ. And I pray this in His name. Amen. So, if you have not signed up for a small group, life group, life group, life group, out in, outside or in the, um, the uh, what's that called, the commons, you can do that. I encourage you, I strongly encourage you to do that today. Thanks for being here. You're dismissed.